Hello everyone, Sam here, as you'll have realised, because you know what my voice sounds like. I'm going to give you the results of the matches right now before the beginning of the podcast, in, in spite of the fact that while we were recording the podcast earlier on, uh, I said wait until afterwards, as you normally do, uh, because I also want to apologise right now at the beginning for the quality of the audio, especially when Santi is speaking today. Uh, we had a couple of issues. It's mostly very early on during Santi's first bit of talking, and after that it gets markedly better, which is why I wanted to apologise up front and explain what's going on and assure you that if you listen beyond the first ten minutes or so, then things do start to sound much better, I promise. Now, uh, the results from this evening's matches were Lanús uh, beating Independiente 3-1 in the Copa Libertadores for a 3-1 um, aggregate victory in the Copa Libertadores, in the Copa Sudamericana, I should say, um, and River Plate beating Nacional in Montevideo 6-2, you heard that correctly, for an 8-2 um, aggregate win, so River very much indeed through to the semi-finals of the Libertadores, where they will play Palmeiras, and Lanús are through to the semi-finals of the Sudamericana, where they will play Veres. Now, Enjoy the episode with those spoilers in mind. Bidding farewell to 2020, welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 389 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by English Dan. Hello. Santi. Hi there. And Andres. Hello and welcome. Uh, now, Tony isn't here this week, which means that we're not recording on Zoom, but on Skype. Uh, so the audio might sound a little different. And in particular, our audio settings are a bit more complicated to set up, which might make things um, not sound as good. But we're going to try and keep background noise to a minimum, hopefully. So bear with us if it's not the case. This is going to be our last episode of 2020. We're not recording next week for um, probably quite obvious reasons. And uh, in the week after that, I don't think there's going to be an awful lot to say. So make sure that you're following in particular Dan, Dan Edwards' goal on Twitter, um, and also Andres is Andres Bruckner and Santi is sbausa 99 on Twitter if you want your fix of Argentine football news. In the meantime, there are going to be matches played. It's just that we're not going to be talking about them. Um, don't bother following me because I'm not going to be tweeting any of them because I haven't been on Twitter in ages, really. That's been the plus side of lockdown, cutting myself off from football Twitter, which wasn't doing me any good. Anyway, since we last recorded, um, the final stage of the Copa Diego Maradona has um, begun. I did realise last week uh, that my classification of the of the final rounds as the championship round and the losers round, uh, the second of those sounded a little bit like Trumpian, didn't it? The, the losers. So I'm now going to um, 
try to find a different English name for that round. In let, let's call it the participation round. Um, but anyway, I'll go through the. Excellent. Uh, yes, I'm glad you agree. Uh, I will go through the results from last weekend first of all in the Copa Diego Maradona. In the participation round, Vélez Sarsfield got a 2-1 win over Racing on, I think that was on Friday night. Um, in the championship round, Colón lost 2-0 at home to Gimnasia. In the participation round, Newell's won, Estudiantes nil. Championship round, Boca Juniors won, Arsenal won, and San Lorenzo nil, Tacheres 2. That was all on Saturday. On Sunday, in the Participation round, Aldo CB won, Lanús 2, and Union won, Defensa y Justicia 3. In the championship round, a little later in the day, River and Argentinos Juniors drew 1-1 in Independiente Stadium, and Huracán beat Independiente 3-2. Um, in the participation round on Monday, Rosario Central beat Patronato 4-0, and Central Cordoba drew 1-1 at home to Godoy Cruz. And then in the championship round, the last game of the weekend on Monday night uh, finished Atletico Tucumán nil, Banfield two. Although for red cards, it finished two all if we include uh, the red card that was shown to one of Atletico Tucumán's subs while he was on the bench. Um, but for red cards actually on the pitch, I think it finished two one to um, Atletico Tucumán to Banfield. Sorry, um, I think it's not showing me who the second red card was here for Banfield. But anyway. That's what it says. Um, main talking points, gents, we, we, we're not able to raise hands this week because we're not on Zoom. So it's going to be a little bit of a free for all when people start cutting in. Um, but uh, yes, where oh, you can raise hands. Oh, that's a, that's a surprise. I didn't know Skype allowed us to do that. So let's go with Santi first and then Dan because they've both just demonstrated to me how to do that. Well, it's been a, it's been an odd week for, for Independiente, I think, because... Um, I think Bucinelli has made very, very clear that the priorities, at least in the very short term, are firmly put on the uh, Copa Sudamericana game against Lanús, which will take place in a few minutes' time, um, the second leg of the quarterfinals. Um, in the event, you already know their, their opponent in the in the semis, which will be, I think, uh, Vélez, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong. Um, but the, the point of it, the point of it all is that, um, with this in mind, and considering the fact that Independiente has had uh, some injury scares with uh, well, some of the uh, more angular players of the of the squad, such as uh, centre back Alan Franco, defensive mid Luca Romero, and striker Silvio Romero, um, Pusineri decided to field an an, an eleven con- that consisted entirely, almost entirely, of uh, youth youth players, um, mostly players who didn't have more than five or ten games uh, in the first team. A lot of them even uh, making their debut, such as uh, Lucas Otachuk in the in the center of defense. Uh, and the Independiente, I think, overall paid um, a costly price, a rather costly play price for their inexperience. They started pretty brightly, um, thanks to some. Uh, Comical defense from from Murakan, who, well, by the way, were of course playing with their with their senior players uh, as, as opposed to Independiente. They began, uh, they were tunnel up after 10 minutes uh, with some very 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 shallow defending from Murakan. Uh, goals coming from an own goal and uh, Nico Messiniti, who actually shot 
at the goalkeeper and still uh, scored anyway. But after 15 minutes, uh, well, the, the first uh, cost of inexperience arose and Thomas Ortega made two almost uh, identical challenges. Both of them, um, that, both of them granting him two yellow cards and Independiente had to play 75 minutes with 10 men. And the fact that there were no like, established leaders and um, important you know, uh, figures to, to hold on to, to that two-goal lead for 75 minutes and uh, Pusineli, frankly, wasn't quite at his best in terms of reading the game and making changes. Independiente were eventually, um, well, they, Huracan eventually, uh, well, overtook Independiente. They, they won 3-2, uh, thanks to actually a couple, a couple of goals where, well, the, mar- the, the marking from the centre-backs was a bit, you know, free. Yeah, well, they were rather free and, uh, in fairness, the, the third goal, uh, in the third goal, I think Andres Chavez was offside. It was a tough goal to make, but he was offside. And uh, in general terms, I think uh, Nicolás Lamolina's refereeing was horrendous, absolutely dreadful. He sent off both Pustineri and his second-in-command, Matias Villavicencio, uh, for, well, some, I think, which w- what would be uh, reasonable, um, reason- reasonable uh, disagreements over some of his decisions. Uh, but, uh, yeah... Um, I don't exactly think La Molina actually was uh, a significant um, factor. I think in the in the defeat, I think mostly Independiente, as I said before, paid with their with their inexperience, and this has caused actually a lot of fans on the so- on social networks on Instagram and Twitter to actually be very very mad at. Um, at Pusineri for for this, which let me be clear, it was his first defeat in 13 games, and uh, they were actually calling for his head after this, uh, saying that he he wasn't playing good football and uh, this wasn't sustainable. But to be quite honest, I don't think that that would be very reasonable. I don't think that would be very clever. Um, but I won't get too too deep into that because I don't think it's it's worth it. What is important is that I think um, this was the risk. Pusineri was uh, centrally convinced and um, convinced that it would be worth it, I think. Uh, we'll see if it is worth it because uh, Independiente actually were the only, are now the only team in the group with zero points as all the other teams have drawn their games. And uh, the, the pathway to the Copa Libertadores through the, the Copa de la Liga Profesional should not be... Um, underestimated even whatever happens in the Sudamericana so I understand why he has, uh, he has placed this trust in the in the youth even if it didn't pay off but uh, we'll see if it actually if it actually pays some dividends Sorry about the noise on Santi's uh, connection there. We'll try and work out what's going on with that. Um, Dan, you had something to say. Yeah, to be honest, I only put my hand up to show you that the feature did exist. Um, but since I'm here, I might as well say something, I must admit. Uh, I'm keeping up my almost perfect record in recent weeks of not watching any of the Copa Diego Armando Maradona, even Racing's matches. 
uh, as you said, Racing played on Friday night, and I decided a far better use of my time was to go out for dinner with uh, my partner, my kid, and and a mate. Uh, had a very very pleasant matambre al berreo, which was far better, I think, than anything the Copa uh, Maradona and the Zona Complimentación could have thrown up. Um, I haven't actually seen the goals either. I uh, see um, Racing took the lead 80 minutes in and then Vélez came back and scored two goals to win. So that's about as much as I can say about that game. Um, the good news for Racing is that uh, Estudiantes look determined to do their best to make sure Racing won't finish bottom of that group because they lost again to Newell's and they carry on that fantastic record of not having managed to score a single goal. I think we decided it was since the beginning of March, um, which is very, very impressive uh, for everyone with uh, Estudiantes. Um, and that's essentially all I've got to say. I remember I saw a little bit of Independiente Huracán and thought, now. Nah, and yeah, I'm going to save my voice because there is one match this week that I would like to say a lot about. So so that's all from me with matters concerning the Copa. Yeah, I think we can guess which one that will be, probably coming up a bit later when we talk about the Copa Libertadores, I suspect. Um, I have to admit that I've kind of followed a similar um, approach to, to Dan in paying not so much attention to the participation group um, and rather more to the championship group. Um, Do you have Matambre as well? Or? No, no, I didn't. Um, but apart from that, uh, quite similar. I did watch uh, River versus Argentinos, but I'm assuming that Andres is going to have something to say about that one. Yes, and as uh, Similarly to what has been happening since River participates in Copa Libertadores and, the, the, uh, in this case, Copa Campeonato uh, or Copa Diego Maradona in the Campeonato zone or winners, winners zone, uh, River gives more importance to the Copa Libertadores than to the, to the tournament played here in Argentina. But uh, uh, I think the formation wasn't too to a reserve formation. It was a mix between uh, the, the players who usually play and the ones who are usually in the, in the subs bench, with the, perhaps the particularity that uh, Milton Casco was in the right back uh, instead of um, Gonzalo Montiel, and Ancelari, who apparently took over of, the, of that position of the left back, was also in the, in the starting lineup. Uh, apart from that, it was Soccolini in the, in the midfield who now, at, uh, 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 for his third uh, match in a row, appears like a perhaps regular uh, player in the, in the formation. Uh, and uh, apart, uh, talking about, talking about the, the match itself, I think it was a, a, a really surprising one for, for River in terms of the, how Argentinos played it, uh, trying to press too high instead of waiting, uh, which is perhaps what we are uh, usually, uh, what we usually see in in, in perhaps uh, teams that play away, uh, um, and uh, it was I think a, a one one half uh, for for each team. Um, River 
played better in the first half, and, and, and Argentinos played. I think it was their their side. Their uh, second half was much better, and uh, with Gabriel Auche in the in the in the I think taking the the, the team in, in his shoulders, and uh, especially when when Batashini has left and Silva is suspended. In the in the in the way River played, it was uh, uh, better in the first half with the. A penalty that was uh, scored by Montiel, I think. No, sorry, Julian Alvarez. Montiel play, uh, scored in the in the Copa Libertadores, uh, breaking a real, really strange strike of missed penalties. But uh, I think it was a quite even match uh, overall. And um, uh, as I said, it was a, a half for River in the first one, and and Argentinos improved a lot in the second one. And I think the the, the, the draw was a, a fair a fair result. Thanks, Andres. Just had to scramble over my screen to find the mute button there, um, or the unmute button rather. Um, the other match that I can remember because I'm very predictable in my watching choices these days. Now that I'm not watching every single match, uh, was Boca versus Argentinos, which it has to be said, although it was the same scoreline, was not um, the most entertaining match that I could have picked. I don't think uh, it could have been higher scoring if if both teams had been quite a lot um, better at uh, getting their shots on target. But Boca had one and a half eyes, perhaps on on the Copa Libertadores and Ar- uh, Argentinos Arsenal just weren't that adventurous, really. They didn't seem to want to uh, do too much damage, if that makes sense. They they did push to a certain extent because they needed to, to go through an, an equaliser, which they eventually got in the 90th minute. Um, but for a fair bit of the second half, it, it was Arsenal, by and large, sort of controlling the ball. And, um, and Boca controlling the space, if you like, just keeping them at arm's length not allowing them to land a punch. Um, it was a bit of a non-event, and really that was sort of the, the pattern for quite a lot of the, the weekend, I thought, of the matches that I did catch. Um, there, were, there were no absolute classics. Uh, we're going to see whether we can hear Santi again now. He's, he's trying with a different microphone. Do you have anything to say, Santi? Anything else to add? Um, I don't think so. Uh, tell me if you hear me all right though um but uh but yeah i mean i haven't been watching a lot uh, mostly due to the fact that i i tend to uh, watch actually independent games uh on less than legal uh less than legal me- mediums but uh but yeah i mean the developments at this at this point in time i think are rather you know early i think to to, to make any assumptions even even in the second round of games, but uh, but yeah, things look pretty pretty even uh, at this point. And of course, most most teams are um, more, I think, uh, concerned about their international campaigns rather than their their performance in in the in this cup. I think. Yeah, indeed. Um... That, that's fair. Or I can, the only team in the championship round to win their match, um, which leaves after, of course, only after only one match, but it means that Argentinos, Arsenal, Boca and River all have 
one point, um, which I think kind of demonstrates quite nicely Santi's point just now that, that nobody's that bothered. Uh, by contrast, in the participation round, perhaps that is the one to go for because that produced three wins um, out of the well, out of the three matches that, that took place. Um, Banfield, Tacheres in Gimnasia all won. Atletico Tucumán, San Lorenzo, Colón. Um, oh, sorry, that's not... God, I'm getting mixed up with these rounds, aren't I? That's Group A and Group B off the championship round. So Group A, Huracán were the only team to win. And then in Group B, Banfield, Tacheres in Gimnasia all won. Atletico Tucumán and San Lorenzo and Colón all lost. And this app that I'm looking at, therefore, just doesn't have the... Uh, the participation round, which is fantastically useful. Um, allow me to try and bring it up here. Let's see whether, I, fortunately, I have my browser already open on Universal Football. So in the participation round, in Group A, Rosario Central, Defensive Justicia and Lanús all won their matches, leaving Aldo Civi, Union and Patronato all without a point. And in Group B, Vélez Sarsfield and Newells both won. Central Cordoba drew with Godoy Cruz and therefore Racing and Estudiantes have no points because they lost to the top two. Um, there's not a hell of a lot else to say about this, really. We're going to have much more to say about how this competition is developing um, the next time that we record, because that, I think, is probably going to be during the first full week in January, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's a very fitting end to, uh, to, to the year, isn't it? Yes, indeed, yeah. Uh, we're not used to recording this late, um, into the year and we're very much not used to recording this late into the year with matches a significant number of matches still to be played and we're even less used to recording as early as the first few days of January because of course normally that's slap bang in the middle of the summer holidays um, but well everything's up in the air at the moment right now um, in fact we... sorry Sam I, I was going to say that uh, uh, but yes by the by this time of the year we usually are uh, on vacations. I mean, in terms of the of the of the tournament, and uh, by by January and or the first days of January, or perhaps the uh, second week, uh, we are talking about the or we were we we, we used used to talk about the summer tournaments, uh, the the friendlies, and in this and this case it will be a, a, a summer tournament, but. For the points, uh, in fact, River Boca play the third of January, uh, which is odd, of course. Yeah, in, in a way, it's going to be nice to actually have some meaningful football to watch in January, um, but it's certainly a little bit discombobulating at the moment. But the matches are going to be played obviously this weekend, um, but I'm not going to do Mystic Sam later on because we've also got matches coming up on the 27th. We've not had the actual kickoff time set yet, but that means that those games will be played on the presumably from the 26th or maybe even the 25th through to the uh, 28th of December. And then again, the following week, so the weekend of Sunday, the, the 3rd of January, um, there will be the fourth round of matches. So you'll next be hearing from us when there are probably only going to be a couple of rounds left um, in this, this final phase after this week. Um, and it's a very early at the moment to make out who, who's going to do what. Um, Possibly, I, I think for our Patreon supporters, if you're not one of those, then get over to patreon.com slash handofpod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash handofpod. Um, I will endeavour to actually record some thoughts after the 
Uh, let's say I've, I might leave it a couple of, of rounds, but I'll, I'll endeavour to record some thoughts in the middle of our break so that they're a little bit more up to date with things. Um, but yeah, your your general normal listeners in inverted commas will be next hearing from us in a couple of weeks when there are a couple of weeks left to go, um, and we'll have a much better idea of how it's all shaping up. But I don't really expect an awful lot to be decided then because the Libertadores is also still going on, um, and we'll be very close to gearing up again for the semi-finals by the time we next uh, record. And assuming that there is at least one Argentine team left in that at that point. Uh, well, there will be, won't there? Because one of uh, Rassing and Boca has to be in it. Um, we will still have plenty to talk about there and, and presumably a contender still not quite through yet. Um, we have recorded so far for 24 minutes, apparently. Although, oh no, we we started recording a few minutes into when I started recording this, though, so we're not quite there yet. Does anybody have anything to add domestically, gents? Um, not sure. Let's let's just get on with the international fixtures, which are the ones that actually uh, the the listeners will want to hear about. Indeed, yes. Let's let's do that. I'm just going to um, call a halftime break now. This is a very early one, um, but we will go away. We will refill our glasses, and when we come back, we will talk to you about the Copa Sudamericana and the Copa Libertadores, and we will answer a few listeners' questions. I'm just about to tweet out our um, request for those because I've been very lazy about that recently. So don't go away. Okay, welcome back. We will begin with a look at what's been going on in the Sudamericana and the Libertadores since we last recorded. Independiente versus Lanús kicked off almost exactly as we were going into our halftime break. It's now uh, seven minutes in. There's a peek behind the curtain at the glorious wonders of how long we actually take recording this thing, for those of you who have not taken part. Um, and the results in the Sudamericana quarterfinals. I can't remember which of these had happened. Oh, hang on. I've got dates here, so yes, I can. Uh, All of the second legs, pretty much, have been played, or in Independiente Lanús' case, are currently being played since we last recorded. So, the results from those are Universidad Católica 1, Beres Sarsfield 3, which means that both of the ties, uh, both the matches in that tie, ended in away wins. Um, but Vélez Sarsfields was one goal bigger, so they go through 4-3 on aggregate to the semi-final. Defensa y Justicia won Bahia nil after Defensa, of course, had won the first leg 3-2 in Bahia, um, meaning that they go through 4-2 on aggregate. Coquimbo Unido versus Atletico Junior finished 1-0 to Junior, who had lost the first leg 2-1, and therefore Coquimbo Unido go through on away goals and Independiente versus Lanús is currently nil-nil and finished nil-nil in the first leg just to remind you so stick around until the end of the episode and I'll tell you what happens in that one um, I think that Santi mentioned earlier didn't you that that Belles therefore are awaiting 
the whoever goes through tonight, right? It's going to be an, an all-Argentine semi-final for sure. And the other semi-finalist, Defensa y Justicia versus Coquimbo Unido. We've not seen an awful lot, I don't think, so far to suggest that the winners aren't going to be Argentine either. I mean, it's not a particularly risky prediction to make when three quarters of the teams in the semis are Argentine. Does anybody yeah, want to? Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it's, um, it's, I think, great testament to how not just um, Pellegrino has successfully uh, managed to carry on uh, the momentum of uh, Belis's momentum through um, after they had made such a great campaign under Heinze and he left uh, immediately after qualifying them to the next Copa Libertadores. Uh, and thus they have uh, gone all the way to, to the semi-final of this Copa Sudamericana, as well as uh, Hernán Crespo and uh, his brilliant turnaround, I think, of his managerial career after um, largely failing in Serie A in Italy and then at Banfield trying to just uh, change uh, completely the, the style that has, that has characterized Banfield for, for years of uh, the the reign of Julio Cesar Falcioni. Um, and in, in terms of independent, of course, um, it's, it's been, it's been played at, at this exact moment. And, uh, I decline to comment on, on this game as of now, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, it's, uh, it's a reflection once again of the, how, just how, uh, far ahead I think are Argentine teams in general, uh, in comparison to other South American teams, um, even despite all the all the worries we had um, we had put forward in terms of you know playing time and calendar etc. And even even in terms of mental strength, as we as we have seen a lot of these qualifications being very dramatic, not just the Lanús uh, beating São Paulo in the in the final kick of the game, but also Vélez have just done exactly that against. Uh, Ariel Holland's uh, Universidad Católica. They are they were heading for for penalties until they had one last free kick, which uh, Ricky Alvarez, the former Inter midfielder, whipped. But beautifully, one of the most beautiful, uh, sharp, most, one of the sharpest free kicks I have ever seen, um, which went straight into Juan Manuel Lucero's head and. Into the the win in the in the 91st minute, which was uh, I think heartbreaking for for Ariel Holland's great uh, Universidad Católica side, but joy for just another Argentine team. Uh, so I, I think it's I, I agree with you. I think it will be fairly um, probable that the Copa Sudamericana will stay in Argentina after many I think. Um, I would say frustrations in the last couple of years, especially with Colón reaching the, the final last year and losing to one of the best teams in South America in, in the Benito del Valle. Indeed. Daniel? Yeah, I agree with Sandy. I think the Sudamericana exploits are definitely a sign of how of how strong Argentina's second-tier teams are, you know. Uh, so, great. Uh, great to see it. You know, us... Us teams are playing in the Libertadores, you know, we try our best, but it's good to know that below um, the elite is still very strong. Very sorry, Santi. Um, I should have known I was setting this up when, when you raised the hand to talk <laughs> after Santi. 
Yes, I must apologise, but I had to say it. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to mention about uh, Coquimbo as well, who also uh, made some history. They got to the um, to the semi-finals um, the first, for the first time in their history. And if I am correct in my calculations, I've seen it mentioned uh, a couple of times, but it's, I'm struggling to find the exact uh, data. I believe they're the first uh, Chilean team to qualify for a continental semi-final for eight years. Um, Universidad Católica in 2012 uh, in the Sudamericana being the last, I think, is correct because I can't think of any uh, Chilean teams who have reached the Libertadores semi-finals since then. No, Chilean football's had something of a slump, especially at, well, at club level, at least, if not on national team level, since then, hasn't it? Um, so does this mean that we can expect whoever's managing Coquimbo Unido at the moment is going to be given the Argentina job for the 2026 or 2030 World Cup and do disastrously it's, badly. It's very possible, yes, very possible. We should mention that um, they were aided somewhat by um, Junior's predicament. Um, they had a big coronavirus outbreak before that game and they could only pick 13 players. Um, so they had 11 on the pitch and, and two subs, which... Obviously, didn't make their um, uh, their plight any easier. Um, but they, you know, they scored early through through Borja and then pushed hard. But Coquimbo just about managed to hold on. And and yeah, that's going to be an interesting game. Defensive Justicia, Coquimbo. You know, two um, continental rookies. One of them is gonna is gonna be in the final. And and I think you can say definitely the semi final between. Vélez and Eva Lanús are independent. It's going to be a very interesting game. That's one uh, we can definitely look forward to. Um, yeah, and it's funny that you've mentioned before the the the, the crisis. I think would I, I think would be a fair, fair thing to for to describe it in Chilean football because. Uh, I think it's not a coincidence that it has um, it, that it has uh, been accompanied by a lot, and I mean a lot, of uh, institutional problems. I think uh, they have seen a lot of uh, presidents come and go, being arrested for for corruption scandals. Uh, I think it was Sergio Jadue who was who has been to jail, and uh, Maine Nichols as well has come and gone. They have clashed with the with national team managers as well, which hasn't um, affected the results of the of the national team, which, of course, it's comprised of uh, this current golden generation of uh, Chilean players who are now, most of them, 30 and older. But, um, I mean, the results in, in the football, in the in the league, I think it are very, very clear to, to for all of us to see. Uh, and I think this institutional unrest that Chile have, has uh, suffered, both in football, and I think outside football as well, uh, has severely affected their football pedigree. Yeah, thanks, Santi. I'll just um, correct myself as well. I, I made a joke about Jorge Sampaoli. And, uh, of course, I'm getting Universidad de Chile mixed up with Universidad Católica. Sampaoli, as Andres has pointed out in the chat, won uh, the Sudamericana in 2011, and it was Universidad Católica who got to the semis the following year, as Dan mentioned. And I will also say... Uh, thank you, Santi, for struggling on so heroically. Um, 
when uh, Lanus scored against Independiente almost as you started speaking, and they've just scored another one. And Jose Sanz is celebrating in front of an entirely empty... um, Pepe fucking stand. (laughs) Fucking stand, man. Entirely empty stand. Just to say, Sam, um, you weren't entirely incorrect, because in 2012-2, Universidad de Chile got to the Libertadores semis. Oh, okay, good. So I... back then, do you remember the Libertadores took place in the first half of the year and the Sudamericana in the second half? Yes, I, yeah. So I chronologically, Catolica were the last. Of course, yes. Thank yeah. you for pointing that out. Uh, but yeah, we haven't had any. We no, not we at all. Chile, Chile hasn't had any semi-finalists since then. Um, and Argentina's clubs, of course, have done slightly better at continental level. Um, sorry, Chilean listeners, but we just thought we'd get that in there. Um, so the Sudamericana, then, just to, uh, to to go again, Coquimbo Unido versus Defensa y Justicia is one semi-final, and uh, Vélez Sarsfield against... I mean, if it turns out to be Vélez Sarsfield versus Independiente now, then we've got a hell of a 75 minutes that we're, that we're in for now, because um, uh, Lanús have got a two-goal cushion. So we shall see. Um, in the Libertadores... Boca Juniors, remember, remain kind of a week behind everybody else because of their... Um, round of 16 first leg being called off. It was due to be played on the day that Diego Maradona died. Um, so the matches there are a little confusing, but we, first of all, they got through on penalties um, against Internacional. They won the first leg 1-0 in Porto Alegre and then lost the second leg 1-0 in the Bombonera and went through in a shootout. Um, and then in the quarterfinals so far, what we've had was last week, River Plate beat Nacional 2-0 um, in Independiente Stadium. Palmeiras beat Club Libertad 3-0. Santos beat Gremio 4-1. Um, those were, were all the first legs last week. And then this week in the first leg, Racing versus Boca Juniors um, finished 1-0 in the Cilindro. So the matches that we've got lined up at the moment are that by the time you hear this, Nacional versus River will have been decided because that's kicking off in just under two hours' time. Um, Boca versus Racing is taking place next week on the 23rd, which is going to be next Wednesday. Um, And at least on this app, I don't have dates here for Libertad versus Palmeiras and Gremio versus Santos. Uh, Maybe they're not going to be played because they both finished in such thumping victories for the home team. We shall see. Have they? Yeah. Oh, bloody hell, the app's... (laughs) This app has got... Because of Boca being behind, that's what's happened. I thought it was listing it by round, but it's listed quarterfinals, Libertad versus Palmeiras and Gremio versus Santos, then one-eighth final... Boca versus Internacional, and then the quarterfinals and the results I've just read out. So, um, sorry, I, I look like an idiot now. Uh, but anyway, both of those uh, those other non-Argentine involving... It's been a long year, Sam. It's been indeed, long. yeah. Uh, both, both of the quarterfinals not involving Argentine sides ended 1-1 in the first leg. So, those were the second leg scores. Palmeiras 3, Libertad 0, therefore 4-1 to Palmeiras on aggregate. And Santos won 5-2 on aggregate. Um, so, am I right in thinking, gentlemen, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that if River go through tonight, then they will play the winners of the All-Argentine quarterfinal. No, you are incorrect. 
They play Palmeiras. Okay, so Palmeiras are waiting either Nacional or River, and Santos are waiting for either Boca or Racing. Um, I feel I should begin. Shall we begin with the first leg of River versus Nacional or with the first leg of Racing versus Boca? Uh, Andres, you've not spoken for a while, so why don't you fill us in on River Plate's entirely uncontroversial victory against Nacional? Well, yes, it was River against Nacional, clearly, uh, as uh, there were some controversial calls from the bar uh, in that match. Uh, anyway, uh, some of them were, were correct and some, some were uh, incorrect and, and, and benefit River, in, in fact. Uh, talking about the first penalty that was awarded for for them, uh, but which was uh, hilariously missed by by Borre. Uh, I think that he was clearly thinking, well, it wasn't the penalty. I will give it away uh, to the goalkeeper, uh, uh, taking it just to the middle with no no power, uh, allowing the, the the goalkeeper to to easily easily save it. But then uh, River had a really, really uncomfortable match uh, as Nacional, just the opposite way as Argentinos play, just uh, decided to wait River way in their, in their, in their side. But even so, they, they hurt River with some counter-attacks, and uh, as, as we know, River is uh, t- uh, uh, suffering when they, are, they can't uh, go back uh, uh, fast. So. That, that, that made that Nacional to have their chances in the first half. But anyway, River could uh, recover and, and uh, uh, after a second penalty, who, which was correctly uh, awarded, finally Montiel t- took it. Uh, and apparently it will be Montiel, uh, the one or the, 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 the one who will take future penalties as long as he is playing as uh, well. Uh, because of that uh, 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 negative strike of, of, of uh, penalties that were missed in the past. Um, and after that, River uh, uh, could uh, have the match under control and just in the very, very end, uh, Sokolini scored again via header to, to secure a 2-0, which is, I think, a very positive result. Uh, that, that play was also controversial as for some people it was uh, in upside, but finally it, it was uh, that, that that place that you could have a, a flag upside or not, and, and it is not quite clear whether it was or not. Finally, it was awarded, and River had a, had a, a, a I think a, a, a very very positive result for tonight. Yeah, thanks, Andres. I I need to. I don't need to, actually, because it was on the, the WhatsApp group. But the goal at the very end um, of that match, when I sent it, uh, I sent a message to our WhatsApp group when it was scored, wondering why they weren't giving us a replay, because it really looked offside. Um, and then afterwards, it Twitter, as ever, proved to be much more help than the official broadcasters were, uh, providing us with some free screens and, and uh, screenshots, I should say, uh, which showed that... Um, Santos Borre was behind the ball, even though he was past the last man when the, the ball was played in. Um, I'm a little bit nonplussed as to why the broadcasters didn't show that, because it seemed to cause a, a lot of arguments on Twitter. But anyway, 
Um, enough about that. Uh, River do go into that with a 2-0 lead and keep what, listening until the end of the theme music at the end. And I'll tell you how the second leg of that goes. Um, Racing versus Boca, meanwhile, was... Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say about Borre's penalty. Um, it was almost exactly the same as the penalty that Carlos Tevez took right at the start of the shootout between Boca and Internacional, with the difference being that in, when Tevez took his, the goalkeeper punched it and it went off the inside of the post and went in, um, whereas Borre ended up with his being quite comfortably held. Um, but yeah, they were both really quite strange penalties and neither of them very good. Um, Racing versus Boca was scarcely less controversial but I imagine you're quite happy about it now. I was fairly pleased. Yeah, I must admit. Um, found it very hard to get to sleep last night after the exaltation of those um, 90 minutes of champagne football I was uh, privileged enough to watch. Um, now, nah, it wasn't a classic match by, by any definition, but uh, Racing, I think, did just enough to... To take the advantage, um, they scored in the about midway through the second half, I think it was, through Paraguayan ex-Spartak uh, Moscow utility man, because he's played all over the place, Lorenzo Melgarejo, with a bullet header, um, which just eluded Andrade's grasp. And I thought, you know, probably a draw would have been, if you had to say the fairest of the fairest results it probably would have been a nil-nil draw because Racing um, controlled the tempo they controlled uh, a lot of the possession at least especially when uh, when the game was still level uh, but they struggled to you know they got a lot into the final to take that final step into Boca's box and Boca they were just all over the place really it was a very strange uh, performance from Boca, or perhaps not, given the fact that um, in these last few weeks, as we saw against uh, Inter last week, um, they've, they've been far from uh, convincing. I think that's fair to say. Um, they were just looking for a moment of magic from Cardona, a moment of magic from Tevez, from Sebastián Vicha, who's officially become my most hated, despised player on on this earth. So congratulations, Sebastián. Um, they never really got going, and and I think it's fair to say as well that um, Becasese won the tactical battle with Russo, who never really got to grips with what Racing were trying to do and how they were really kind of choking the space out of Boca and suffocating them when they had the ball in their own half, and he never really got to grips with it. Um, Boca did push forward a bit more uh, when they were a goal down, but there were a couple of chances, but nothing. Ah, oh, I think um, it was Soldano right at the end from a corner who who had the ball really nicely teed up, but he, he smashed it over the bar in the corner. Uh, that was probably Boca's only really kind of clear chance uh, to equalise one. You could say, ah, yeah, you should have put that away. Um, so nice, a fantastic result for Racing. Um, I said before the game that a clean sheet was absolutely essential um, for the first leg because, you know, going to the Bombonera and, and having to chase from behind, even with Boca not exactly pulling up trees, is not a position anyone really wants to find themselves in. So their goal is, in, is a bonus. And 
I don't know if you could say wrestling are favourites because anything can happen over over 90 minutes, but but absolutely delighted. And I would like to take the opportunity too to make a public apology to Nawen, my my son, who was terrified at my celebration for the goal. He um he he stopped in his tracks and it took a while for him to to get over that. So I'm very very sorry, Nawen, but I can't promise it's going to be the last time. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny to me because you've been uh, waxing lyrical about uh, Lorenzo Melgarejo, his importance to the racing side and also his importance to win with his goal. But uh, yeah, Sun had said that uh, Racing Boca was slightly less controversial than uh, River Nacional, but it wasn't uncontroversial at all because before yeah. uh, Melgarejo scored. You've um, conveniently forgot to mention that he should have been off for what was a very clear uh, stamp on an opponent's uh, on a, well on, a, on an opponent's leg. So no, just... that's bollocks. No way, that's a red card. I mean, you could sure. give it a red card, but it's not a nailed-on red card. The guy he comes in late, and but he treads on the leg. He doesn't stamp. And I was just looking before it popped up on Twitter, like the um, because Boca then started crying after the game. Oh no, what about the VAR? Oh, we're always damaged. We're always so punished by VAR. And um, and Tessie Sports have uh, published like the the transcript of of the VAR dialogue, the VAR dialogue with with the ref at that point. And and the ref, you know, the the guys in the cabin said clearly, like he treads on him, but. But it wasn't strong. It wasn't, you know, with the intent to hurt. He he went in clumsily and he, you know, brushed his shin. And the ref said this and the cabin says, yep, absolutely. So, I mean, what's the controversy? If you look at just the snapshot where where his foot is on, I think it was Izquierdos, his leg, it looks bad. But it's something you've got to see in real time when it happens. If he gets sent off, you're not going to have too much complaint. But it wasn't, oh, he had to be sent off. And, and if you say that, like, just... You know, you want Boca to win and and you're not thinking clearly at all. I mean, Boca lost it because they were crap. Um, and if they sent off Megarico or not, it's, it's incidental. You're going to have to get used to the taunts of Varsing now, I think, Dan. Um, Stick with it. <laughs> um, yeah. We should, of course, mention for our listeners in the United Kingdom uh, that there's been very exciting news regarding the fact that you'll actually be able to watch some of these matches because uh, the BBC I've, I've got I've had an email I've had an email from a producer at the BBC asking whether I can mention this believe it or not that's how desperate they are for people to tune in um, but uh, yeah they they've got the rights to most of the remaining matches in the Copa Libertadores and indeed I think just looking through it at the moment, that by the time this goes online, those will be all of the remaining matches in the Copa Libertadores. They're showing Nacional versus River tonight. That'll be this news will be too late for any of you lot, of course, um, to hear that. But then they're showing Boca Juniors versus Racing, the quarterfinal second leg from the Bombonera, which is um, kicking off at half past midnight. Their coverage starts from uh, twenty past midnight on the twenty fourth of December. So it's the obviously the night of the 23rd here in Argentina, if you're listening to us previewing this. Um, that's going to be on iPlayer Online and on the red button. They are showing both the first legs and both of the second legs of the 
Copa uh, of the semi-finals. Sorry, we don't have, of course, kickoff times for those yet, but they'll be on the sometime between the fifth and seventh of January for the first legs, sometime between the twelfth and fourteenth of January for the second legs, and we will, of course, be previewing them probably at least in our next episode. Or we might be recording in between them. Actually, we'll have to wait and see. Um, and then they will be showing the final, which is on the thirtieth of January. Again, kickoff time to be decided, all on the iPlayer online and on the red button. So if you're in the UK, enjoy. Uh, you'll be able to watch it. Congratulations. Um, shall we move on to Lister's questions? Or does anybody have anything to add? I think that means that we're moving on to Lister's questions. We've had one, first of all, by direct message from Lee Bartlett, who says, what will be the outcome of the Barracas Central versus Belgrano de Córdoba after match fisticuffs and the smashed up away dressing rooms at Central's Barracas Central's Cancha Stadium. Um, Lee, of course, is a long-term Handapod listener who often manages to meet up with me for a few drinks when he's coming to Argentina and going to an inordinate number of lower league matches all over the country uh, about once a year. Um, it goes a little bit beyond after mass fisticuffs, in fact, and I think that Santi has most of the detail. We are going to talk about it in more detail on Hand the Pod Extra uh, later on for our Patreon supporters. But uh, since we've been asked the question, um, Santi, do you want to give us a little bit of a preview of what we'll be discussing? Yeah, um, I think if I had to just uh, sum it up in, in a few words... I think it would be fair to say that um, when Belgrano had to visit uh, Barraca Central, which, as we as we all know, it's the team from which uh, Claudio Chiquitapia emerged first as a janitor, then as a Barra leader, then as president, and and as such became the the president of the AFA. Um, it's a it's a team that its current chairman is also. Um, a uh, son of Tapia and another of his sons is in fact a player at uh, Barraca Central, which I, I don't see anything fishy in that. I, I think it's just a, a coincidence. Uh, the problem is that Belgrano, um, both uh, players, uh, their manager Ricardo Caruso Lombardi and most of the fans, I think, disagree. Uh, and as such, uh, they were they were a little suspicious of what the outcome of the game. And their suspicions, I think, would, were, um, I think, justified because they actually lost their game on a very, very dodgy refereeing decision regarding an, off, an offside call, which uh, led to most Belgrano players um, to argue with the referee until, and to the surprise of no one, almost, the Barra Brava of uh, Barraca Central who are, by the way, not allowed to be on the pitch or any pitch uh, because the the coronavirus has kept uh, fans uh, away from football stadiums for now everywhere in Argentina. And well, in the extra, we will comment on something that has been rather lenient in that sense in the in the Primera Nacional. They came in and they decided to just beat the hell up of uh, beat the hell up. Um, beat the sorry, beat the the Belgrano players all around. It was an absolute mess. Uh, the the actually the the speakers were actually banging on one uh, a very optimistic song by Diego Torres called Color Esperanza, which was just a 
a comical image. And uh, after that, the 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 Belgrano de Barraca Central um, official account actually posted a picture of their dressing room that was absolutely torn apart. The the players, the, the Belgrano players, um, have actually. Uh, denied that they were responsible for that, but after, of course, after the game, Ricardo Caruso Lombardi and uh, Belgrano captain Paolo Baghetti have been absolutely fuming. The actually Belgrano have uh, posted an official statement with video evidence of the of the the attack from the from the Barraca Central Barras towards the players and the coaching staff, and um, in fact one of the um, I think one of the vice presidents of uh, Belgrano, who is actually who has a, a seat at the at the who's, who has a seat at the um, one of the main authorities of the Primera Nacional, has resigned because of all this conundrum, feeling that he has he wasn't just feeling safe at all um, after this incident and a lot of different incidents regarding actually the referee who is uh, who was Nelson Sosa and who had a history of just favoring uh, teams with uh, an influence in the in the Argentine lower leagues, which, once again, it surprises absolutely no one. Thanks, Santi. Uh, more detail of that, of course, coming up for our Patreon supporters, as I say, on uh, Handapod Extra, which we'll be recording in a little while. Uh, Chris Hartley has got in touch to say, I've long admired Argentine club shirts, particularly River Plate's home shirt. What for you is the current best shirt in Argentine football? We seem to get asked this one every few weeks at the moment. But um, what what are your opinions this week, gentlemen? I think we will stick with Vélez, just like I did last time. Andres? Right now, uh, I feel like the Messi Justicia's t-shirt, not the, the classic one, not the... The one, uh, the, the the first uh, uh, team kit, but the the one I think they used it or they wore it against the uh, Estudiantes a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one which uh, looked like uh, an homage to Jamaica. I think it was more black than white than that. Oh yeah, yeah that that was a nice one. Yeah, the change one. Uh, well, Dan. Uh, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Argentina had a nice one. Yes, uh, it's lovely. All right, let's go for Argentinas. That, that retro one that they wore for the 35th anniversary of the, of the Libertadores. Andres, you yeah. were going to suggest another one a second ago, I think. Hey? Oh, no, I no, so, was, I, I not only, only that, that defensive justicia. Uh, yeah, I have to say, as, uh, I'm a bit of a purist, and, and um, as the others will, will know, or maybe Santi hasn't known me for quite long enough, but uh, Dan and Andres will know that I, I get quite het up when a new river shirt comes out and doesn't have the proper sash going all the way over the shoulder when, when it gets cut off, which is most river shirts, because it's such a simple design to get right and it looks fantastic. And the current one does. Um, so I, I'm going to go with that one, but also wanted to make an honourable mention of the Argentinos one. And with apologies to Santi for what we're all currently watching, um, I rather like the, the, the Lanús kit that they're wearing today as well this this mostly white but with purple details i it's, absolutely um, don't blame you because i really like it too and the the man behind the design of all lanus's shirts it's i think it would be um something that i would like to add is uh, martin tibabuso who was uh, in the past responsible for 
most designs of the Argentine national team shirts for for Adidas. I think the last job he has ever done was the 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 kits for the 2014 World Cup, which um, he has. I think he has been working with uh, with the national team for about 10 or 15 years until he. Well, I think it's since the 2002 to 2014, if I'm not wrong. But uh, he was for many, many years the the designer of the Argentine national team shirts and is now in charge of designing the Lanús shirts, which is, I think it's no wonder why they're so uh, easy on the eye. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Thank you for that. Um, and Perfect Tommy says, do you expect a flurry of activity during the upcoming transfer window? I can't say that I do, but uh, the others might nope. know more than I do. Yeah, there'll be a few, because I'm sure loads of people signed short-term contracts until the end of the year or the end of this Copa. So, especially, if it, I don't think probably the biggest teams will be changing much, but definitely the teams, you know, who most depend on these short-term contracts, Centro Corva and, and that ilk, uh, there'll be a lot of changes, yeah. And probably defensively, it was DCO given that they exist to move players on and to be temporary homes for others. Um, in the case of River, I think it will be more, uh, the, the, the board members will be more devoted to, to renew the existing contracts. There are some of them are, are about to expire, not to expire, but they will be, if they don't uh, renew their contracts by the 31 of December, they will those players will be uh, able to to negotiate uh, which, uh, any team that come to them with they will not an offer. So that will be the major uh, challenge for River, I think. Santa, you've got your hand raised in Skype at the moment. Do you want to say something or did you forget it was up? I'm um, sorry, I, for- I forgot to turn it down. <laughs> no worries. OK, those are all the questions. Um, so I think that that's it for this week and indeed for this year. Um, thank you very much for for joining us again. For It's been an interesting year. Hopefully we'll manage to get more episodes recorded during 2021 than during 2020. And hopefully, who knows, maybe at some point we'll be able to record in person again and we won't have all of these sound issues that we were met with at the start of the uh, recording. For now, if you would like to um, continue receiving just little bits of... Um, of extra content during the next few weeks while we take our break from me on my own, get over to patreon.com slash hand of pod. If you're already there, of course, then thank you very much. And you can look forward to that. Um, and have a wonderful holiday period, whether you're celebrating Christmas or something else altogether or nothing at all. Um, if you've got some time off, then enjoy. I say that as Lanus go 3-0 up with a really nice finish and apologies, Santi, for mentioning it, but uh, we couldn't not to. Um, anyway, for now, thank you very much. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you like to say, uh, and have a good new year, and we will see you in that new year. Thanks and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. From English Dan. Goodbye. From Santi. Goodbye, happy holidays, and I also say goodbye um, uh, in from from the Independiente, the Independiente's hopes of qualifying for next year's Libertadores. Goodbye to them as well. Yeah, probably a formality by now, but continue to listen after this theme music, and you'll find out whether they did come back to win four three. Uh, we will have to wait and see. For me as well, for now, thank you and goodbye. Mm-hmm.